Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined today by Chris Reifer. As always, a beautiful spring day here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, not too hot. And this is your weather made in Portland right out of the it's out, gate. It's here. outstanding. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. And yesterday was even better. Um, getting getting out into the city yesterday, I had an opportunity to thoroughly enjoy uh, the mid seventies, which is is anything in that range that's 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 what you want great right? stuff great stuff yeah. no complaints uh, 10 out of 10 no notes on uh, on what the weather right now i i'm usually pretty great at complaining about it right now no i got nothing to say it, it's an inherent trait in i i am not to, a critic of yeah. the weather at this moment good um you know what i think you might be a critic of uh is is a performance by a by a certain soccer team in in the city of portland over the weekend uh we'll we'll begin there actually Chris, the uh, Portland Timbers lost 1-0 to Minnesota United, giving up a goal in stoppage time at the death, as they say, um, after a, a pretty mediocre performance, something that even if it did end up being a draw, they would not have been happy with. Um, and then they lost. And so their their turnaround, quote unquote, came to to what can only really be described as a screeching halt with that loss. Um, you had talked before about them turning a corner right into a brick wall. Then it seemed like the wall might not be made of brick after all. They might be able to, you know, get through it. Then it turned out, yes, it was made of brick. <laughs> and, and and they turned around and their noses were bloodied from running into it. Um, your your takeaways, your, your uh, feelings after that Timbers match, which could potentially be the the turning point for the worst of the season. You know, I I think it's worth sort of zooming out and looking at this stretch of four games as a whole. Because as we talked about leading into it, uh, this was going to be an important stretch, right? It was a real opportunity, maybe the best opportunity for the Timbers to kind of put their very early season struggles behind them and to sort of, you know, get into a better footing in the table, get into a better stead heading into uh, a month of June that's going to be a bit more complicated in terms of the opponents that they're going to face. So they had Austin at home. Austin's really been struggling, uh, especially been starved for goals, uh, but really struggling uh, over the, the this first part of the season. Uh, they had uh, They had Vancouver at home. It's taking this somewhat out of order. Uh, Vancouver at home. Uh, Vancouver has been a little bit better, but still not great. They had RSL away. RSL's really been struggling, really been struggling to score goals. Uh, and then they had Minnesota at home. Minnesota, stop me if you've heard this before, really struggling to score goals. <laughs> 12 goals on the season uh, coming in and, and was also missing as they, they're probably two best playmakers. Uh, Babella Reynoso, who's been out all year, just getting back into the team after an extended absence slash suspension slash mystery uh, where he did not report uh, to the camp. He has now reported that still working his way back into fitness and it looks like that's going to be a process. By far their best player. Nope, no questions about that. Uh, and then Robin Ludd, who is, is, I think, probably the second most creative player uh, in the attack, plays as a winger, uh, <laughs> leads the team in assists this year, albeit with two, uh, which <laughs> gives you gives you a, a sense of how that's been going from the loon side. Uh, it, you know, uh, and and he was also out, uh, and so it was a pretty it was not a good loons attack to start with, and it was substantially weakened coming into the the this Timbers uh, this game against the Timbers. Like the Timbers, Minnesota also played midweek. Uh, And so lots of heavy legs on both sides and all of that. And so I think if you look at that four game stretch as a whole, you would say that's an area. And I mean, that that's just a period in which the Timbers have got to rack up some points, got to rack up some wins in there because you got three home games. All four games are against mediocre to bad teams. uh, And even the road game is very, very accessible. And they came out with five points from those four games. You know, that's a point and a quarter per game in that stretch. I mean, a point and a quarter per game isn't going to get the job done in basically any stretch. 
It's especially not going to get the job done in a stretch like that. And it's especially especially not going to get the job done in a stretch like that when you preceded that stretch with two months of shoot. And so here we are now, 14 games into the season. The Timbers have 16 points. They've had periods in which the schedule's been challenging, difficult opponents. They've had periods in which the schedule has been not challenging, not difficult opponents. Uh, and they have similarly struggled through all of those periods. I mean, it, the the Timbers just are their record. That's it. This is a team that is on 1.14 points per game because it's a team that deserves to be on 1.14 points per game. Like, there's there's not a whole lot else to say about that. And I – look, I, I think Gio Savarese probably in a little bit of, a, of an emotional moment after the game made some comments – you know, decrying the critics and that kind of thing. Well, I think he kind of walked those back, frankly. He didn't expressly walk them back uh, midweek, but I think he probably acknowledged a little bit more of the reality of the situation uh, in his uh, in his availability after training on Tuesday. I get it. After games like that, like, if I was the coach of the team, I would have been emotional too. So I get it. Um, But... I mean, the reason people are critical of the Timbers is because they're 14 games into the season and they're on 1.14 points per game. That's bad. They're a bad team right now. <laughs> like, that's just it. And the only thing we kind of see folks cling to is this notion, this this at least partially mythologized notion that the Timbers are always bad in this time of year and that they always turn it around. It's just kind of also not really true. <laughs> it's not really factual. Like the, that that's that happened in 2021, right? That was the one time. That's the outlier. Uh, but you know, in in the Timbers' 12 preceding seasons in MLS, seven times they have gotten to this stage of the season. Actually, 15 games in, so it would be after this weekend, under 1.3 points per game. And so they've been under 1.3 points per game seven times. They've been over it five times. Which, if you want to say, hey, wow, Timbers frequently start slow, you're right, they do. Um, of the seven times that they've reached this point under 1.3 points per game, they've missed the playoff five times. They the One one of the times they made the playoffs, it was 2019, they got in by the skin of their teeth and then did absolutely nothing. And it was a bit of a shambolical season. Uh, it, it was the Brian Fernandez season. All of that stuff they, where they started really slow, they started really slow. They caught a bit of a, a of, of of a Mario star, if you will, in the middle of the season when Fernandez came in and initially was very good, but that situation obviously went pear shaped. And uh, and you know the by the end of the season they were they were very much limping into what was a merciful first round exit. And then there's 2021. That's 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 the one exception. Of the five times that they've gotten to this point over 1.3 points per game, they've Finished atop the Western Conference in the regular season twice. They've won MLS Cup. They've been to another MLS Cup. And they won MLS's back. Basically, they, they have done shoot. Each of those five seasons goes on the resume. They've done something that goes on the resume in each of those five seasons. In the seven seasons where they get to this point under 1.3 points per game, uh, they have only once done anything that goes on the resume. And the other six, frankly, go in the litter bin. So, like, the idea that the Timbers always do that, but they always end up fine in the end just isn't true. Like, when they start slow, they often start slow. That's true. And when they do, it usually ends up badly. That Those are the facts. That is the reality. And the sobering point about the 2023 Timbers is even if they win this weekend in Kansas City, they will still be below that 1.3 point per game threshold. 15 games in this is this is this season is officially in the more likely to be in the litter bin category than to do something that goes on the resume and and so that's why that's why i mean mean, we 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 see we see you see this a lot from coaches i mean we saw it from phil nettle this weekend uh and you see it pretty frequently with coaches of teams that are struggling uh that 
they do sort of bemoan the critics. I think it's basically just because they don't want to bemoan things that are internal, right? Like Gio's not going to get up to the microphone and throw Merritt Paul's under the bus. He's not going to throw Ned Gravelboy under the bus. He's not going to throw his players under the bus. But he's feeling like he's got to throw somebody under the bus. And 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 the critics, however defined, uh, are are very throwable. Um, and so, like, I, I get it. But critics aren't criticizing the Timbers because of some grudge, right? It's not because some they're biased against the Timbers or, or they have some addiction to being angry about the Timbers or anything like that. Critics are criticizing the Timbers because they've been a bad team. That's the truth. <laughs> like, and honestly, like, I, I, I don't know how you could even argue against that truth with a straight face. With a straight face, right? 1.14 points per game is bad. It it is, and and eventually a, a team just becomes, you know, what they are. Like they they are their record, as yeah. you said. They 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 are their their points per game. They are um, all the all the indices of them being, you know, just not a very good team. And you know that obviously can turn around. That's something that is possible for them to go on a tear. Yeah, they're not the mathematically the excluded uh, from from doing something this season. No, not by any means, uh, particularly given the expanded playoff, but you know, just making the playoff as, as we have noted, ain't shoot. It's yeah. not something to be proud of. It's, it's a, a litter bin season. If you make the, the playoffs as like a nine seed or whatever, you win the, the eight, nine game, and then you get blasted by LAFC or Seattle yeah, in, I mean... in, the, in the first game. I mean, that that's not something to, to hang your hat on. Um, as a as a coach, as a franchise, as players, the big difference I think recently with the Timbers has not been the same as as maybe some of the early season issues. The early season, it was like okay, they have a ton of injuries, like they they are making do with a not very deep roster that is also extremely injured. Now, all of your primary contributors, with the exceptions obviously of Eric Williamson and David Ajala, who are out with season-ending injuries. Um, all those guys, for the most part, are healthy, right? And they are capable of playing full full 90s in the case of, you know, Jimmy Chara, Dyrona Spria. They're, they're getting to that that point, and the others are already there. Evander is is playing every match. He's your best player. Uh, Frank Boley, who, who you brought in to, to be your, you know, starting striker, he's playing every match. So with that, all of these guys that are your primary contributors are playing and the struggles and the incompetence on the field is persisting. And that, to me, is the biggest sign that the Timbers are in a really dangerous spot in terms of their season's fortunes, that not only are these guys back and healthy, but they're playing and you're still not getting the results. And and that's, you know, that's not on any specific individual necessarily that's we're not we're not name dropping people that are are to blame for this struggle it's it's a collective problem here it's it's the roster construction it's the lack of depth it's it's you know maybe maybe it's the want the want to aspect of it that's something that geo pointed to this week in his his comments he he and i think you can see it on the goal they gave up to minnesota yeah, he directed less of his criticism toward, you know, critics and more toward, you know, the players for for potential buy-in. And and that's, you know, that's a pretty heavy thing for for a coach to bring up, but it's And not it's also a bit of a boomerang. Gio's brought it up. Yeah, it's right? a boomerang too. <laughs> because yeah. because, you know, as, as much as as that coming from a coach maybe a criticism of the players, the coach has got to acknowledge that he bears some of that too. It's it's his job to get his players bought in. Yeah, and and they they're in a position now where they play Sporting Kansas City next, right? You gotta get three points out of that match, otherwise this conversation gets even more dire, and the the buy in maybe becomes even less possible with certain players who are like, all right, this season's in the can. Uh, we're we're pretty much like in in dire straits right now, right? Um, you got to get that, and then after that, the the schedule is going to be extremely hard right it's it's 
if you're not getting three points out of games against Minnesota and Austin and sporting Kansas city, you'd be hard pressed to believe that the Timbers are going to do that at Seattle or against LAFC again, Dallas, against LAFC, or... Dallas, San Jose, NYCFC. Um, these are, these are all games that are, that are on the, in the near horizon. Right. And then you've got your little break with leagues cup, you know, whatever. That's nice. Maybe, maybe that stretch will allow them to, you know, reposition themselves and, and reset their minds a little bit. Um, but even then, like you're, you're, you're in it now. This is no longer the early season. You're very much in the thick of it. And the Timbers are in a really bad position. They're they're I think you said 25th in points per game in the league. It might be tied for 24th. Uh, apologies yeah. if that was unduly critical. Sure. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in that range. Um, but yeah, the, look, the critics, the critics are not critical, as you said, because they have some grudge against the Timbers or the front office or the coaches or whatever. It's, it's the, the people ourselves included who are talking about the, the Timbers in this critical way. We are not the only people doing this. There are other people who cover MLS who talk and write about this team and other teams. Um, they're doing it because of, of the results. And at the end of the day, you know, that that's the, that's the nature of the beast. People are going to, to be critical. And, you know, I, I know Gio knows that he, he, he's a guy that, was in sports media in addition to obviously being somebody in the sport itself. And he, he's had relationships with reporters over, over the years that are, that have been positive, that have been, you know, he he gets it. He gets journalism. He understands its role. The the question now is, um, you know, can, can the team perform on the field to, to prove those, those people, those doubters quote unquote wrong. And I don't even think it's a matter of proving them wrong. Right. Because if if the Timbers go on a five game winning streak, I will probably say, unless it's some bizarre circumstance of luck, I'll probably say the Timbers have been really good over the course of these five games. Right. But that doesn't make the fact that they've been really poor for the first 14 games wrong. <laughs> right? Like that doesn't change that. It's not like suddenly all of a sudden you look back at that Minnesota loss and you're like, well, actually, that was great result. Great play. Like that doesn't change that. And say, you know, I mean, it's sort of the, the the point of if you believe on Wednesday, what you believe on Monday, regardless of what happens on Tuesday, you're a fool. And I am more than happy to believe something different on Wednesday than I believe today. If the Timbers go out on Tuesday and, and play phenomenally and win a bunch of games, because that's, that's, that's just living a reality based life (laughs) where, where you're, you're forming your, your, your opinions based on actual facts in the world. But, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing, and, and, and it's why it touches a little bit of a nerve for me when, when you know, folks in the club do kind of go after the critics and the haters and the yada, 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 because, look, I mean, w- w- the, the simple fact is when the team is playing as poorly and getting results as poorly as it is now, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to have people who care and who are critical just because of the facts or you're just going to have people who don't care. Like the, the idea that, that they should be getting a lot of praise for the way they've played to date in this season is just, I, I mean, it's just fantasy land stuff. That's, that's not going to happen. And so it's, it's a matter of, of, you know, if they, if they don't like the critics, then, then the other realistic option is that they just don't have anybody. And what I don't do think that's of, a, I don't think that's favorable. I don't think that's sure. the the right choice. Yeah, no, it's not. I I agree with you. But playing, I guess, devil's advocate for lack of a better term in that scenario. Um, what do you make of the the assertion? It's it's been brought up by you know Geo pretty frequently, uh, but also others in the club um, that you know they are in better form. They are you know rounding the corner in terms of their form. They're just you know, not necessarily getting the results. Maybe it's, it's a single moment here or there that is, is shifting the tide and that in reality, eventually things are are going to, to look better than they do. I, I guess I, I 
I don't disagree that they're playing better than they were in some of those truly abysmal performances early in the year. Yeah, like, I think so. Too. It, it is a fair point, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a, I'm not sure it's an important point, but it's a fair point that the performance against Minnesota was not as abject as the zero zero draw against the LA Galaxy, right? Okay, like we I, I think we can stipulate to that. Uh, but. You know, I mean, you look at the performances as a whole, the Vancouver performance, really good. Uh, the performance away at St. Louis, really good. Uh, the last 20 minutes or so against Seattle, really good. And so it is it it is true that they have had games or moments in which they've performed well. Okay. But, and and so, you know, I mean, do I think the Timbers are a historically bad team? Are they on the level of an LA Galaxy so far this season? No, they're not. And their place in the standings reflects that. And a team, you would expect a team where where the Timbers are in the table to have some moments and some performances in which they they play well. And they're all right. And they they get some, that's why they have 1.14 points per game. Uh, They got some of those. But it's just not nearly enough, and it's not nearly consistently enough. And if you look at the way they've put themselves behind the eight ball, it's just not good enough for them to look good every third game. It's not even close to being good enough to look good every third game. If they look good every third game, I can tell you where they're going to be at the end of the year. They're going to be right around 1.1 or 1.2 points per game, uh, which ain't shoot. And and so I think there have been moments in which they've looked better. And, and, you know, the, the, the truly abject performances and me and injuries were certainly a factor in that. I think frankly, just some lack of preparedness to play was also a factor in that those seem to have largely gone by the wayside. Great. But again, when you zoom out and even just look at the performances over this four game stretch against this four game, very accessible stretch of the schedule, I don't think there's that much to love. I mean, the, they looked better against Austin for periods. Um, but they also sort of failed to put that game away. They looked good, and they did put the game away against Vancouver. And then both the game at Salt Lake and at Minnesota, I don't think there's all that much to love. I don't think they did show much in either of those games that would indicate that they're a, you know, top half of the table team. And and that's significant. And yes, tired legs were a factor, but tired legs were a factor for everybody. Salt Lake's t- legs were at least as tired as the Timbers. Minnesota's legs were at least as tired as the Timbers. They all had the same schedule congestion. They all had US, were balancing US Open Cup and MLS and midweek MLS and all that stuff, right? And so the, they were on equal footing there. And even then, I mean... Were the Timbers markedly better than Minnesota on the weekend after watching the game? I didn't think so. Uh, I think the Timbers had a little bit more of the ball and maybe created some more half chances than Minnesota. But when you talk about the quality of the chances as a whole, probably about pretty even. Game could have been a 0-0 draw, a 1-1 draw, or gone 1-0 either way. And I don't think anybody would have felt that it was manifestly unjust. Uh, The game against Salt Lake, 0-0 written all over it. And and so if you're asking me whether the underlying performances are suggestive of significantly better results than they've been obtaining, I would say not significantly. Because that I mean that, that's sort of just I mean I I think the the underlying performances have been have gone from abject in in the first few weeks of the season to mediocre with a little bit of inconsistency. But mediocre with a little bit of inconsistency isn't even close to being able to get done what they need to get done over the course of the season. Next game for the Timbers is Sunday at noon Pacific against Sporting Kansas City. As we discussed, like a must win against a Sporting KC team that actually has been in better form lately. So it's it's not going to be any kind of lay down game for them to and, go until the they went and got pumped by a St. Louis team that's been struggling uh, yes. this last weekend. 4-0 at St. Louis just absolutely crushed. Uh it, I mean it, it's an interesting game uh from SKC's perspective. They've got a few injuries. 
uh, that that have cropped up since even last weekend that they may be quite uh, quite limited. A few guys who are who are questionable who would otherwise be regular starters, Alan Polito, who recently come back into the team. A lot of folks have been pointing to that as part of the thing that had improved the Wiz's fortunes, uh, and 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 he's at least a question for this game this weekend. So, you know, I mean, but I, I think it is it is fair to call this another game that is accessible for the Timbers. This, these are three points that if the Timbers are a team that's got legs, they should feel like they should go and get them. Now, will they? It's a question. Who's to say? <laughs> who's to say? The uh, who, Who's to say anymore? The Portland Thorns, uh, they were in a bit of a rut themselves. Uh by their own standards, at least they, they much less deep of a rut. I the think, Thorns had one, a fever would... and there was only one prescription, the Chicago Red Stars. That's right. <laughs> the cowbell you are looking for is, <laughs> yeah. is the Chicago Red Stars, a team that was just abysmal uh, to watch. But regardless of, of the quality of their opponent, the Thorns came out and um, got a, a convincing victory 4-0. It was 3-0 after like 15 minutes. They were just pouring it on and and it was their get back game as we talked about last week. Like if there was ever a get back game, it was this one and and they got back. They they had not won in three matches, two consecutive 3-3 draws and then the first loss of the year 2-1 at Houston. Um so they needed this badly for their confidence, for for the playing with joy, which is something that's, you know, inherent in this group. And, and they got great performances out of out of a lot of the players that have been the engine of what they've done in recent weeks. Crystal Dunn had another terrific game with a goal and an assist. Um, her assist to Moultrie was great. Moultrie herself has become a fixture, really, in this starting lineup and has been really awesome the last few weeks for, for the Thorns. Sam um, Coffey was really good, too. Sam Coffey was real good. Um I believe she had two assists, if I am remembering correctly. You're correct. Yes, she did. Uh, She had the assist to Hubley, who scored her second career goal, uh, which was an awesome moment for for Kelly. Nice Um, finish, too. Yeah, such a nice finish and such a a funny and and interesting personality, Kelly, too. Like, every time something big happens for her or something big she's involved in, um, her eyes just pop out and she's just like screaming and, and her teammates just, whether they're laughing with her or kind of joking with her, um, she's just a very jovial presence on this team and an underrated, you know, glue to, to what makes this Thorns team so good. Uh, and the second assist for, for Sam was on a Quika, uh, header, which was a really nice finish from, from Quika, um, got banged up later in the game, but she should be fine for, for this week in San Diego. Um, Sophia Smith didn't score. She was banged up a little bit at the end of the match. Looked like it was some cramping and it, it pretty much turned out that that was the case for her. It was, was some cramps uh, in her left leg. She, she was running a lot and going hard to try and get a goal uh, in a very gettable situation against a Chicago team that could not uh, stop, Portland they you know I I will give the Red Stars credit the back like 20 30 minutes of the match they they were stingy compared to you know just the horrible you know waterfall of goals that was just cascading yeah I mean the game didn't go like 17-0 as it was on pace to go at one point but no I was I was talking to Thorne's PR people like hey like we're probably in like NWSL record for goals scored territory because it was three zero after 15 freaking minutes. And I, and they did not look like they were going to slow down, but they did. And, you know, I mean, the game was played at a canter basically after it went three zero. I, I I thought I, yeah, it was over. (laughs) It was completely over. And, and the performance, I, I think, you know, had its stretches of maybe things that Mike Norris might not be too happy about in terms of the way that the Thorns played, but none of it is, is really a, an indicator of who they are, right? This game Friday against San Diego, I think is, big is the big test. Yeah, big, it's big a game. huge, huge game against a really good team uh, with whom the Thorns are, you know, fighting in the table. But yeah, I mean, this is the get back game for the Thorns and now they are probably a lot more concerned with how they're able to build on that momentum and, and get a good result uh, in San Diego, which has been kind of a tough place for Portland to play. 
over the last couple of years. Um, but getting three points out of that would be a huge statement for them, not only uh, against a, a wave team that they probably expect to see come postseason time, but also to the rest of the league. Like, hey, you know, we may be in a, a bit of a rut by our own standards recently, but we still have by far the best goal differential in the league, by far the most goals in the league, most talented roster. I mean, it, it the list goes on and on. This is a group that needs to regain that belief as, as Megan Klingenberg and other veterans on the team have said. Um, and what better way to do it than, you know, getting a big result in San Diego. Yeah. I think this is, this is the, the game against the red stars is exactly what the thorns needed. And the thorns handled it. I think with the aplomb that they also needed for themselves. I, I mean, this was, they, they put the red stars to the sword early. Uh, and, and I think basically everything after that third goal was, was something close to intramurals. Uh, and, and, and that's, I mean, that, that, that's great for the thorns, right? Because we did, as we talked about last week, they did seem to be in, in, in a moment where there seemed to be a bit of a crisis of confidence. And that's exactly the kind of thing that you need to get your swagger back. Uh, I thought the thorns defended well. Uh, I think that was, uh, you know, that was frankly my concern in the entire last half of the match. I was like, please just don't let them give up a couple goals and kind of get, the yips back uh in, in that respect and they didn't frankly i didn't think the red stars were ever super close to 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 doing anything like that even though it's a red stars team that i mean they've scored a couple goals i guess but <laughs> i don't know i was i was gonna try to say something. Uh, no i mean you know i i, I it, it, they they dominated uh the game uh, i i think they they went up three zero and then there was just, there was never any question about whether the red stars were going to be able to get back into it. And I think that is exactly what you want from that. So I have no real notes uh, about the performance. Uh, I think if the thorns had wanted to, they could have sent that game to seven or eight zero and made it silly. They didn't. That's perfectly fine. Um, but I think this one now uh, uh, tomorrow evening, Friday evening, uh, in San Diego is just a massive game. Not, I mean, not just because of where they are on the table. They're tied for second. Uh, they both are sitting on what 15 points. If uh, my memory is serving me correctly, uh, just one shy of the Timbers and almost half as many games. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, but I, I think it's also big in terms of this being among the biggest tests that this Thorns team has faced this year. Uh, and if they can take that confidence that they should have regained from that performance against the Red Stars and and, and apply it uh, in San Diego, uh, I think we 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 could be you know if they come if they win this game, Thorns are back, fully they are back, uh, and and they are back uh, in a place where I think they will be considered certainly among the 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 absolute top favorites for both the Shield and and to to win the title again. Oh, and, and that's going to be huge. But the defensive performance is, is going to be vital because this is a San Diego team that started a little bit slow, but is picking up some team, some steam. Uh, as we know, they have some real attacking pieces. Uh, and, uh, and and so if the Thorns are, again, allowing space uh, in back, if they're letting players get on the ball and run at them and break them down, uh, Alex Morgan and Jaden Shaw can do that. They can really do that. Uh, and so that could be a real problem. So I think the Thorns are going to need a disciplined performance. Uh, I think they're going to need to be able to uh, keep those spaces tight. It's going to be another huge game for Sam Coffey. Uh, it's going to be another huge game for the back line and just to, and, and sort of the, the, the balance in that midfield, which maybe has been a little bit better with Olivia Moultrie uh, in, in, in central midfield with, uh, with, with, with Dunn uh, and, uh, and with Coffey. And so, you know, I think that I think all of that uh, is going to be critical uh, in this one, and they can't let the Red Stars game just be sort of a one-off game against a team that they can just dominate on talent alone. Uh, and so that's the task in front of them. I'm really looking forward to it. This is a huge game, uh, and I think it's a, it, it, it's it has all the makings of being a pretty fun one too. Yeah, uh, all the games I feel like recently with with uh, San Diego and Portland. Um, have been fun. They've been exciting. You know, you think about back to, to the semifinal game last year, um, the thrill at the end with Crystal Dunn, uh, 
getting that goal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's huge and it's going to be exciting genuinely because both teams want this one. Both teams have something to prove ahead of the world cup. We, we aren't too many weeks now away from NWSL players being released to their national teams. I believe it's June 26th that they will depart. So we, we've got about a month left with the, the stars of the NWSL uh, and, and they want to pick up these points, man. Like Sophia Smith, she wants to get on the board too. Like not only for, I will you know, say I'm 0% concerned team. about this. Yeah, I'm not worried about about that. You know, she she'll she'll be back back where she's needs to be. And, and she's and she still productive and, Chicago, and, and effective. Yeah. She's still yeah, productive she and effective. I mean, she's been their best player still, even in the stretch in which she's not scoring goals. And so, you know, I I mean, soccer is a game where you have to just exploit what you can exploit. And sometimes that's setting up goals for other folks, which she's done. Sometimes that's that that that's exercising your gravity to open spaces for teammates, which she's done. And the goals are gonna come. She's gonna score goals. Uh, but the overall play has been excellent. And so the fact that it hasn't been her name on the top of the score sheet in those entries, I have absolutely zero concern about whatsoever. Yeah, and Soph is the type of competitor and, and athlete to get up for games like this, right? She's obviously, you know, aware of where they are in the standings, aware of what it means for for uh, the table generally down the road to, to pick up points in this one. Um, but also, you know, she's going against Naomi Gurma, a, a longtime friend and former teammate at Stanford, who one of the best center backs in the league, if not the best. And she, it, it's going to be a battle between those two in, in a lot of ways. Also their matchups have been super fun to watch in the past. They have like, you don't often get sort of like one-on-one soccer. There have been moments in the games against, against the wave in which it's almost felt like one-on-one soccer between Girma and, uh, and, and so, and it's like, it's just been phenomenal to watch. And if you're a fan of the national team, it's just like mind blowingly exciting to watch too, because you see these two outstanding young players getting after it uh, on an extremely high level. It's good stuff. Yeah, as as already at their young age, uh, two of the best players in the league. And and there are some people who would put them like one and two, right, in their rankings of best players in NWSL. That's how, how much fun that is. And the fact that they're friends, like it's it's just a really interesting storyline. Like I, I, as a fan of, of sports generally, I, I eat stuff like that up. Like you love the narrative. I love the narrative. Well, yeah, I'm also a, a sports writer. Yeah, so, right. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm narratives are literally addicted. how you put food on the table. <laughs> It's literally how I make my money is by nar- narratives and whether I'm I'm the person that, you know, pursues them or they just exist naturally and all I got to do is write it down, right? So it, it it's a fun game. I'm I'm looking forward to it and a, and a big one for the Thorns. Um uh, the other piece of Thorns news that I definitely want to touch on uh as as we progress in this conversation is is Lindsay Horan. Um a- according to the manager of Lyon, uh, she will be back with Lyon next year. Uh, Olympique Lyonnais, the, the French team over there that Lindsay Horan is on loan at. Um, that loan expires next month in June. Uh, and according to, to Lyon's manager, she's she's coming back. Now, what, what that looks like, we don't quite know yet. Um, I believe the the manager hinted in her interview that it was going to be in the form of a loan but the thorns also would benefit greatly from obviously selling Lindsay Horan to Leon or to any other team uh, for, for a, a big chunk of change that they could use to improve the team going forward. And particularly ahead of expansion in the next couple of years where you're going to lose some of the back end of your roster, like inevitably um, and maybe even some of the, the middle tier players that you just can't protect because there's, there's limitations on that. Um, it's it's a an important and interesting moment. We've been talking about Lindsay Horan's potential return for a while. Um, for a time, I had heard behind the scenes like that it was likely that she might come back. Now, now she's not in all likelihood going to be back if if the interview is to be believed and if there isn't some last minute change of heart here, um, she'll she'll be back with with French side Lyon uh, next year and and the thorns aren't going to get her back in the middle of the season to try and, you know, bolster their roster even further. I, I, what, you know, thinking about that, thinking about the situation that the thorns find themselves in with Haran, what, uh, what stands out, Chris? 
disappointment. <laughs> That's what stands out. Uh, I hoped Lindsay Horan was going to come back uh, in in large part because she's a brilliant soccer player. Uh, she fits into probably the most natural hole uh, in the Thorns starting 11. There aren't a lot of holes, <laughs> as as we've discussed. This is a very good team. But if there's one, I think you would say it's it's in central midfield. And it's a two-way player in central midfield. And Lindsay Horan is, is that probably more of a 10 than an 8 that she can certainly play as an 8. Uh, and, and she is, she is an honest player in that central midfield such that I think she would have fit just fine. Uh, and she's an excellent, excellent soccer player. I mean, look, she's, she is a, an in pin starter for one of the best national teams in the world. If you can get a player like that on your game day roster, you want to do it. Uh, that's, that's not galaxy brain soccer stuff. Right. Uh, and, and having what seemed to be a clear path to bringing her back was an exciting thing for the thorns. Uh, and I, I think if you looked at that possibility going into the last half of the year after the world cup and getting ready for the playoffs and all of that, that could have turned a juggernaut even to whatever is even bigger than a juggernaut. And so that looks like it's not going to happen, which is disappointing. Now I, I will say, NWSL salary cap stuff, if we talk about how much of a black box MLS salary cap stuff can be, NWSL salary cap stuff is like way even worse than that. We have no idea what's going on financially with anybody, including the Thorns. And I think your comments about making sure that they maximize the value of of Lindsay Horan and and their contractual rights with her is is an important one. We will not know. I mean, it's possible that it could be a loan with a significant loan fee. If that's the case, cool. Uh, and and that allows the Thorns to sort of reinvest that. Cool. Uh, if it's a free loan, less cool. <laughs> uh, if it's a, a lucrative transfer, cool. So, I, but I mean, the, 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 we are likely to have very, very little visibility into that. And I think we have very, very little visibility into what else the Thorns can do to reinforce the team uh, in in the summer period. Uh, and I'm not sure reinforce, I mean, they're not in a position like the Timbers are where they need to reinforce the team or they are imminently going to sink. Uh, this is a, a matter of if they can reinforce the team, it's, a, it's because they are, you know, gearing up uh, to make another run in a title. And do they even need to? I mean, I, I think you could say that if they if they go with the roster that they have today, they are still very much a contender to win it. So this isn't an existential kind of thing, uh, as we've seen in some other circumstances. Uh, but it's still disappointing because this looked like a fairly clear possibility to really take the team to the next level. Yeah, and it's a scenario where I don't think it's existential with regard to this season by any means. I think that, you know, as constructed, they are definitely the most talented team in NWSL and capable of, of winning the championship without a single change to what they have going on right now. The The question then becomes as, as we, you know, think about the future of this, this team as players maybe leave in free agency who are, are key um, individuals on this team. You think about players like Crystal Dunn, whose contract is up at the end of this year as, as being a, one of the examples Um then, then cracks start to form, right? And you, you want to create some level of insurance to be able to fill those cracks and continue to contend for championships beyond 2023. You know, you racking up these stars is awesome with this current group, but this current group is not going to last forever, right? Yeah. Megan Klingenberg is a veteran player. Becky Sauerbrunn is a veteran player. Uh, Christine Sinclair is a very veteran player. Like there, there are, a lot of veteran contributors on this team who are not going to be around for very long. And there are also a lot of young players who potentially will see opportunities elsewhere. I mean, it's pretty rare to have this super team type of feeling (laughs) in soccer. Like you're mostly just like, especially as the NWSL gets bigger, there are more teams. The talent is more spread out. um, And as more NWSL players go back and forth between Europe like most of the time in soccer, you're just plugging holes, right? It's very rare that as you, as you alluded to earlier, that there isn't really one to speak of. If you could point to one, it would be in central midfield, but 
even then the 17 year old is killing it the last couple of weeks like living multiple and maybe been... there's a good argument to be made for letting live have that run i think there probably yeah, exactly is. yeah totally and and you know given sinclair's in the twilight of her career it makes sense for somebody like live to be the heir to her in, in that specific position obviously you know sink hasn't always been a midfielder it's it's changed over the years but but if yeah, you can get an in-pin starter for a top tier national team you do it every time exactly and and so that's unfortunate that they weren't able to to do that if if of course that is how it ends up playing out it's not official quite yet but this would be a pretty strong indication that she's not going to be back you know and, and looking to sort of future years obviously there are tons of variables but we would be remiss if we didn't sort of flag a tail that's likely to wag a lot of that dog, which is the ownership situation uh, and, and who the owners are and when that transition happens and all, and you know, the, the, the investment that the new owners are going to make into the soccer side of the thorns and, and all of that stuff. I mean, I, we don't have answers on that and those are going to be huge, huge, huge factors in determining who they're signing, whether they're re-signing players and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't think we know it at this point. We don't. And, you know, there has not been really a lot of buzz around the ownership situation lately. There hasn't there's been, been no buzz. Not, there's been zero buzz. <laughs> not even there's, not a lot of buzz. There's been no buzz at all. Yeah. All the all the bumblebees are gone from the garden. It's just silence and like the faint sound of the wind going through the, the <laughs> garden. Um, but from what I hear from around the league, from from around NWSL is is that people are really expecting ol rain and chicago to to be sold before the thorns are sold just given the buzz around the, the other two teams and what is most likely to happen with with their ownership situations given the the differing complexity of the thorns situation and cleaving them off from the timbers and what that might look like what the you know providence park situation will look like Merritt paulson of course has publicly committed to making sure they keep playing at Providence Park, how that happens, who who the potential owners are. I mean, the only hint of a, a or I guess there have been a pair of hints, but the only hints that have been, you know, given as potential owners are the the group led by Melanie Strong, who is obviously still in pursuit of um of the team. She's obviously a former Nike executive, has a, a women led group that has expressed their interest in and has been part of, of that process. Uh, and then the only other one I could point to is just a wild, you know, shot in the dark rumor is that I saw NFL star and Dominic Sue walking around in Providence park the other day. And that, that doesn't give any remote indication that he has interest in buying the team. His dad actually is a former semi-pro soccer player. It was a weird, weird little nugget. He's got the money to do it. Maybe, maybe he's somebody, but again, there's no buzz. The, the bees are not in the garden. There is nothing, <laughs> you know, there's nothing pollinating our interest right now. And, and I definitely acknowledge all of those things that make a sale of, of the thorns complicated. And you're hundred percent right. There is also one big countervailing factor to those things that would make you think that a, a sale of the thorns could be very readily achievable, which is that they're the hottest property in NWSL. <laughs> like if you're looking at, the three clubs that are for sale and you just want to rate which one of them is the, is, is the best to buy. There's not even a discussion. OL rain have it's, been, have been good on the field, but it's been a bit of a disaster on the business side, basically throughout its history. The red stars yeah. have been a disaster on the business side. They've usually been okay on the field. Now they're a disaster on both sides. The thorns have been, by far the biggest success in NWSL, both on the soccer side and on the business side in the entire league. They are the hottest yeah. property in the league, ladies and gentlemen. And like, yeah, there are literally, <laughs> there are teams around NWSL who, you know, it's great that these attendance numbers are going up. I'm not saying that, but there are teams around NWSL that are touting like 10 or 12,000 people showing up to the Gotham games is delighted as, as, to have 10,000 uh, tickets sold for their game against the wave. Yeah, and the Thorns had double that on Sunday when they played against the Red Stars. In, like a, in a regular, regular season game against a bad team. Yeah, exactly. So that alone is obviously a major indicator of of how valuable the product is. And and 
is more to your point that like, Hey, of the three teams that are, that are for sale right now, they are definitely the most valuable. So I, I acknowledge the complexities uh, with, with selling the thorns. I don't think that those complexities are necessarily fate driving in terms of when a sale could occur. Because I think there are countervailing factors that would make a sale of the Thorns more enticing than those other two clubs. Yeah, the situation with the, with the sale right now is pretty quiet. Um, I, I would imagine that there'd be there'd be more news in the coming months, but again, I, ha- I have nothing to to go off there. Who knows? Uh, the way that the way that the organization communicates about those things has changed. There are changes in leadership there are people that are more front-facing and speaking with the media than there are others so it's 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 a big question mark right now and yeah it does affect the future in terms of their on-field soccer product it, it does impact you know their ability to potentially retain players like a Lindsay Horan you know we don't know 100% that that factored in for her but it it you know the uncertainty of the situation can factor in for others and so it's 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 something to think about and and it, and it has its tentacles into every part of the operation of the club right i mean one of the areas that the thorns are getting frankly passed by by a lot of nwsl teams is their training facility setup how is that going to relate to a sale i i mean th- these are all the things that we just don't know and that are just up in the air because of the instability in the ownership situation and and so i think that makes looking forward beyond 2023 basically impossible because I mean, are the Thorns an attractive place for a player to sign in 2024? Beats me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, and so you know, I, I I think in many respects, I've just sort of responded to just all of that uncertainty and that black boxiness of the Thorns' future by appreciating the team that they have now uh, and kind of just letting tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Uh, and I think that's kind of the approach that you have to take because I I think there are. So many unanswerable questions about the Thorns' medium and long-term future uh, that it's it's difficult even to discuss. Thorns face the San Diego Waves on San Diego Wave. Excuse me, I was going to say Saturday, but it's Friday. So San Diego Wave on Friday. That's tomorrow uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast, seven p.m. Uh, that one's on Paramount Plus, so uh, should be a fun one. Uh, they re- return home for a Challenge Cup game on the 31st against Angel City. Would expect a pretty significant amount of rotation for for that game because they go on the road to OL, OL Rain the following weekend. Um, I'll be up there covering that game and, and the Timbers game against Seattle uh, on June 3rd. So that'll be a, a fun doubleheader in the Emerald City. Um, but otherwise, that, that wraps it up for us this week uh, on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, follow us on... Twitter, Soccer Maiden PDX, at Chris Reifer, and at Ryan T. Clark. Uh, rate us if you so choose. Uh, like us, subscribe to us where you get your pods. And thanks again for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk some more football. 